Hi everyone, this is your new host, Kiara Lozano with Walton Biz Talk, a student-run podcast where we have casual conversations about professional things. This podcast is powered by the Business Communication Lab at the Sam M. Walton College of Business, and this season we'll be digging deeper into the importance of innovation in our everyday life. We'll be having guests from all industries, backgrounds, and expertise share their contributions and thoughts on innovation as our world continues to change. Hi, welcome back to Walton Biz Talk. Our last episode of this semester, co-host Savannah and I get to meet with John Harmon, founder of OBGO, to talk more about the company's initiative and product development process, along with the services they provide and the current work they do in connection with the University of Arkansas. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Before we get started, could you please give us a quick introduction and provide some background on yourself? Well, thanks for having us. We're really tickled to be on this. We've got a great relationship with Arkansas, and so I think this is a perfect fit. Um, Background for me is originally from Texas. Uh, My sister went here. Brother-in-law went here. They're here. My parents moved up here, and um, I had come up with the idea, and when my parents were up here, they became a little... Uh, under the weather they had some mental uh, health issues and um, and so I was up here helping them a lot and when I was here I'd go to Starbucks every day and I'd work on the business model so I would tend to them and look after them and doctor's appointments and this and that and and then uh, I'd be at a Starbucks every day and I'd be at the one on college or the one over um, well, there's both on college, but the one over there by uh, Home Depot. And uh, and so I started really building it out at a Starbucks. And it uh, it started to grow and we got the code built. And, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how it evolved and how I got up here. That's awesome. Where in, where from Texas are you from? Northeast Texas, Northeast okay. Texas area, a little town, a little town outside of Marshall, doesn't have a stoplight. Okay. Um, grew up on a ranch and um, father was, uh, was in the, was a businessman and in, in the energy sector and we were entrepreneurs as a family and, you know, I was the kid pushing the lawnmower around the block uh asking people knocking on their door hey can i mow your yard because the grass looked too tall so uh i've always been you know pretty active and um my background is finance and so it's it's uh, i've always had a thing for business yeah that's awesome i'm also from texas that's why i was i was asking um but that's cool so you said that you've always had a passion for business so do you think that that is like one of the biggest like motivators for you to like start opigo well the the motivation was really uh out of uh out of a necessity out of a need i mean it 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 really came down to solving a problem that existed and when I realized that there wasn't a solution to it I was kind of surprised because there's so much technology in a car as you know I mean they get fancier and fancier inside and 
they do all these things and they have all these fancy lights and they do this and they do that. But yet when it comes to the consumer side, you're basically still held hostage by the repair facilities and the dealerships and the, you know, the garages and things like that, because the car can, the car can look like it's a, you know, made by SpaceX, but we, we still really don't know whether we're getting a good deal on the repair. We don't know uh, how they do it. We don't know if it's overcharged or undercharged. It's not convenient. A lot of people don't like dealing with the repair shops and, you know, uh, everyone has their own opinion. And so to my surprise, there wasn't anything out there that really connected the shops with the customers in a very easy way. I mean, you can order food from an app. You can get medicine from an app. You do telemeds now from an app. You order reading glasses from an app. You can get anything on an app. Yet when it came to auto repair, you know, the top seven, top 10 auto repair fixes are very simple. It's regular maintenance. It's a, it's an oil change. It's tires. It's an alignment. It's rotation. It's brakes. It's air filters, spark plugs. I mean, they're really simple things that it doesn't take a whole lot of, um, you know, research to repair. And, you know, the cars diagnose themselves now and you hook them up to a computer. It tells you, you know, what's, what's coding. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only, it's only a few shops that when you bring it in for one thing, they want to sell you five others. And I can understand they're in the business of making money, but that's what's really pushed consumers away to not even go in when a check engine light is on. You know, I, I bet, you know, you guys have driven around with a check engine light on for more than a few days just because you're like, oh my goodness, where do I take it? How much is it going to cost? Et cetera, et cetera. What if it's expensive and you just hope it goes away? Or, you know, some people put a put a piece of tape over it. Um, or funny enough, they try to go somewhere where they'll say, hey, can you turn off that check engine light? And, you know, you're like, okay, but it's going to come back on. So we just felt that you know, there's a lot of shops out there that could use three to five more customers a day. And when you're looking at, you know, alignments, tires, oil change, you know, all of those are set prices for the most part. It just depends on how much they charge per hour as far as their, their, uh, you know, their, their hourly rate, that's the only thing that differs. So a dealership may charge 150, 200 bucks an hour to fix your brakes where, you know, somebody like grease pig may charge you 55. So when you look at that, you're already saving potentially a hundred dollars just on the hourly rate. And it's an hour job for brakes and the brake pads are not that expensive. Nobody really makes a lot of money on brake pads. The markup's not there. But, you know, one shop has a lot more overhead than the other. So you go into a dealership and they've got fancy coffee and the fancy couches and the flat screens and someone's got to pay for those. You go to Grease Pig and, you know, they can get you in and, and uh, they've got to they have somewhere to sit. But, you know, they're not going to have all those comforts. And 
you know, I always tell people if you if you want a fancy coffee, go ahead and go to the dealerships or go save a hundred bucks on repair and then go get your coffee at Starbucks. You know, and go buy an outfit with what you saved. I mean, what's the difference? Because they're using they're using the same parts, uh, you know, and they're just having differently uh, hourly rates. John, I, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about, I know you mentioned, and it also mentions on your website, that the technology in the automobile industry has increased dramatically while the auto repair industry has lagged behind. And at the same time, we have, I believe it was the average car on the road is around 11 years old. So how is the Obigo app bridging the gap between them and catering to the needs of those newer models, the newer cars, the newer technology? Yeah, so good question. You know, when cars come out, they the technology in the car is is what's really revolutionary. I mean, you know, you've got cars that are autonomous that are drive themselves. You've got cars that can park themselves. And those are features in the cars. But when they break down and they have a check engine light, the the way they repair it is pretty much the same as if it was a five years, five or six years older, eleven years older. They pull it in, you've got to be diagnosed. They've got to seek out what's coding. And then from there they can, you know, figure out what the problem is and and then address the repair. The average car now is eleven years old. And that is increasing every year. I believe in the next year, in the next five years, I believe it's you know, obviously you say five years, five plus eleven is sixteen, but I mean it's going up every year. So the average car on the road is 11 years old. And that's because cars are made better. They just, they last longer and uh, than they used to. Car sales are down or pretty much are flat. They have been for decades. And so when you look into a automotive uh, dealership, 60% of the dealership's profit come from the automotive repair side. It does not come from selling the car. So that's why it's a, such a huge part of their business. And so they thrive on having cars come in and getting fixed. Um, we come in because we have a OBD2 plug-in, which is basically the diagnostic port plug. And that right there reads the code. It goes into our phone. It shows you what the check engine light is, is uh, what that means. And then, it, and then from there, we can then send out that code to participating shops to where they'll see it. And then they can communicate to you what that means. And then they're able to give you a quote on what that repair could be. For instance, sometimes you'll get a, you'll get a code where it's your gas cap. I don't know if that's either, either happened to you or anyone in your family, but you have a check engine light code and the gas cap just needed to be tightened up and, and that's what was coding it. Now, I've had people tell me that they've had that happen. They went into a dealership. Next thing you know, the dealership is saying they needed this, this, and this. And they will, they, you know, by the time they left, they'd spent, you know, $1,000. One person spent $3,000 and all it was was a gas cap. 
Did they need some regular maintenance? Probably, but it was an opportunity for them to be upsold on some other repairs that they needed. But in the moment, the reason that they had to check engine light at that particular time was just the gas cap. So any car that past 19, I'm going to say 1986, has that port. It's underneath the steering wheel to the left. And anybody that pulls a car into a shop with a check engine light on, that shop has to plug in to figure out what that code is. You know, the, the days where the mechanic lifts up the engine and, you know, looks at it and goes, oh, it could be this, the, the, those days are long gone. You know, repairs are prioritized, not prioritized, but for, uh, for the most part uh, done by the computers and reading those. And then once that's there, then they replace the parts and things of that nature. A lot of car parts now are plastic and they wear out. And, uh, you know, and that's just uh, to keep the cost low. And that's just the way we are right now. You know, they're, they're, they're not made as strong as they used to be. Uh, but you know, that's, that's also a good thing. So with us, you know, with a car being 11 years old, there's a real need for people to have repairs and a car that's 11 years old or older, the average repair, and this is statistics, this is national statistics. These aren't just something that we came up with. The average repair for a car 11 years old is a thousand dollars. It, it jumps dramatically from 10 to 10 years and up. The average repair in the United States for a car is around 367. And, and if you look at it in total, the average repair across the country is usually close to 1 1.9, 1 1.7% of a gross household income. So if you were to look at your car, your your family's cars, and you say, how much did we spend? If you add it all up, it's pretty close to that number that I just gave you. Uh, I think, I always think, you know, I've done the exercise myself on my car, and I thought, man, that seems like it could either be a lot or a little, but it was pretty accurate. And um, and so, you know, I'm a consumer, too. I have a car. My car is 10 years old. Uh, I've taken really good care of it. But, um, you know, it, uh, check engine light comes on and I do like most people, I go, Oh my goodness, what's it going to be for, then you think, okay, where am I going to take it? And so, um, you know, how much are they going to charge me? Are they going to, you know, do they think I know anything about a car? And so it's, it's, it's very much part of, you know, my exercise as well. So, um, you know, my mother is in her late seventies, and when I was coming up with the app, she said to me, um, she calls me one day before you know when I was driving back and forth, and she said, "Hey, I needed your app today." And I said, "What happened?" She said, "Well, the check engine light came on, and I went to three different places. They told me to come back for an appointment." And I said, "Oh no!" And she said, "Yeah." She said, "I had things to do. It that took me two days." And I said, well, if you had the app, you could have gotten more answers and you could have scheduled an appointment with somebody. And she said, I know. And so she ended up going to a, uh, 
a shop in Springdale and she stopped in, they looked at it, basically it was nothing, just needed some fluid. Um, and they didn't charge her and she got it fixed. And so when I heard that, I wanted to go back and see, you know, what they were like and who they were. And now they're part of the Obigo garage part, you know, they're partners with us. They have two locations. And so, um, you know, they get it and, uh, they appreciate somebody coming in and they made time and, you know, um, uh, I can appreciate that shops are busy, but with the app, when someone comes by or if they're on the app and they can't see them today or tomorrow, at least they can schedule them for next week. So my mother, she may not have been able to get in that week, but at least she could have made an appointment, just like you make a hair appointment or a doctor's appointment. And you say, okay, I can come in next week at two o'clock. Is that fine? Yes. Saves you time, saves you running around, safety. You don't know what the check engine light is. And, you know, that's what we do. So if a car needs a repair, you can communicate with the shop and and say you know i can come in next week um we had a young lady in uh, bella vista two weeks ago the shops that were up in that area were booked she then found one in fayetteville and they were able to get her in she was driving to colorado the next day so she needed it done that day so she drove all the way to fayetteville she then had told the uh, owner that she'll come back when she gets back from Colorado because the dealership gave her a quote on some other things that she needed. It was three or $400. And he said, well, what were they? And so she told him about that. He took a look at it, look at it. She got an old change and alignment and those other issues fixed for 130 bucks. And she's got a SUV with high-end oil. And I can assure you that the oil change for that big of a SUV was 80 to $90. And they, I guess they were slow. They wanted the business. They want the repeat business. And so on that kind of a situation, she prevailed. She got a great quote. She got it done. No issues. And she doesn't have to go back to the dealership. So that that trip there alone to drive that far saved her four, five, hundred, six hundred bucks. And that's the beauty of the app. It's really bringing the independent dealerships who know that they, you know, who want to do good work, who want to charge good prices, who want the business, who want a relationship. They want the opportunity to quote somebody and say, hey, we can do it better than the dealerships or as good as the dealerships. And we understand that you've got other bills. We understand you've got time restraints. We understand that you've got safety concerns. And we want to work together so that at the end, we can both succeed, do good car repair at a good value. And um, that was really pretty, you know, that was it. Uh, you know, in a, in a bigger city, it's even tougher because if you live in Houston, I'm not sure where you're from in Texas, but if you live in Houston and Dallas, you know, how many, how long would it take to go get three quotes in Dallas 
with the traffic or Houston or Austin or San Antonio. I mean, you could get three quotes and you may not like all three and then you've got to go and get another three. That could take you three or four days and all this time when you're driving around with a check engine light on. So if you're able to, to, to have shops, reputable shops, give you a quote, you're able to text them through the app to communicate with them, set an appointment, go in there, get it done, get out. You don't have to talk to them when you get there if you don't want to, and you pay through the app so it's COVID friendly, you know, that's a win. When you look at um, the students that are here in, 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 in town in Arkansas, uh, I can tell you my interns have told me that they've been driving around with a check engine light on before, you know, but they go, I don't know where to take it. Well, some of them, some of them take it to their old chain. Sometimes they go, you know, I wait till I get home. Well, you know, if they wanted to, they could have their parents get on the app and say, hey, Kendall, I'm going to uh, your car check engine lights. Come on. Let's see what it is. They could read it from wherever they are. Say they're in Austin, like this this uh, young lady I know, my intern. Uh, they can say, hey, it's your, you know, the CO2 or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the code is. And the uh, parent can look up some shops say hey i want you to take it over there it's all worked out take it next tuesday two o'clock and then once it's repaired the parent pays through the app that's it it saves money for the parents it's safety you know especially when you're driving home and and, and um uh you know parents that's the first thing that I've, we've surveyed is the parents ask when's the last time you had your oil change yeah, I don't know, you know, so um, we've also had a lot of people that get an oil change and they pull in and it's supposed to be $35 as the sign says. And next thing you know, it's $65 and somehow or another it got increased and um, it's a done deal and they end up paying it. Well, with the app, if it, if it says they're going to charge you $35, they're going to charge you $35. They're not going to, you know, change it up on you. So, you know, those are just some of the features and some of the things that that it does. There's a lot more, but the genesis of it is really uh, solving a problem, which is, you know, basic repair, regular maintenance, safety, things of that nature. And, and, and if I can expand really on one other thing that we think that's really big is the emissions and the global footprint, carbon footprint. If everybody would go and do one, one oil change per year, it would really do a tremendous service to the air quality in some of these major cities because cars are, as you probably know and read, have a huge carbon footprint and uh, and it's you know statistically proven that if a car just got one oil change a year and uh, a tune-up, it would it would dramatically reduce that and you know we're here in arkansas we take pride in having a very clean and beautiful state and and so um we think that uh you know it's something else that we're you know we've, we have a social responsibility to um to mention and hopefully people would if anything use it for that 
Yeah, for sure. I definitely think the app is super beneficial, um, specifically when you were talking about getting diagnostics. It was kind of funny because when we were first like talking about the podcast, my car broke down multiple times um, and my search engine kind of went off. Um, but this was like prior to me knowing about this app. And I went to my dealership multiple times to try to get a diagnostic and they just couldn't find anything. Um, so I feel like having those resources, since I'm not from the area, would have allowed me to be able to have um, more options to be able to go somewhere else that could help me um, solve the issue prior to. Um, so I definitely think that that is, you know, it's a definitely something that's needed in the market and specifically here in, in the Fayetteville area where there are a lot of college students and a lot of them aren't even from the area. Um, so they know a little bit more about where it's more effective to go. Um, and then I know that you mentioned when you were talking about you know, like everything that the app has um, and about how it's been impacted by like COVID-19 and how the transactions are all virtual. So it's a lot safer. So um, with that being said, do you see more opportunities for Obigo to continue to expand in this field, um, specifically since it's allowing more of a virtual um, way of dealing with car dealerships? Well, I think that the answer to that is yes, and I think there's many, many factors of why. Um, I think COVID accelerated the app app use tremendously uh, for everybody, and I say everybody, I mean all ages. Um, you know, uh, my parents, for instance. I mean, my mother's a very, you know, if you if you're sitting, if you. If you were to see where she sits, she's got an iPhone and an iPad and, you know, she's, we call her the tech grandma. She's, she's very, she, she, she understands everything, but, you know, she's ordering groceries through the app at Walmart, you know, she's ordering food, she's doing her medicine. I mean, it accelerated the use of apps dramatic, dramatically, uh, uh, as far as where they are now and, and, uh, you know, they may not have been so, uh, so much app use, uh, you know, had it not been COVID. I, I mean, uh, you know, if you look at DoorDash, you look at all these food services, if you look at everything, a lot of people still weren't using them as much, but I think it accelerated in a few years. And, you know, and with us, I mean, I didn't have a crystal ball to know that this was going to happen, but you know, the, the, the studies that we have is, is the, the, um, the younger crowd. I mean, and it's really, I don't like tags, you know, I'm a, they like labeled me with a tag and they label you with a tag. And, you know, it, 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 when, when college students, young professionals, they're just, they've grown up in an era of, handheld devices and they like things simple they like them uh easy to to use and if that's the case they're going to use it i mean it's 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 um i use them um uh and so when you look at what we're doing if you're sitting in your office in dallas texas and you need an oil change and you're not near your house, but you've got to use it because from from work you're driving somewhere. You can pull it up on your phone. 
and you can find an oil, you know, you can find a partner that that we use, and you can send out that you need an oil change, an air filter, or whatever you need, an alignment, and they're going to shoot you a quote back, and you can have that done while you're multitasking and doing a lot of different things. It's no different than ordering food, um, and uh, you can schedule it. Um, you know, the, the other thing about the app is people, sometimes they identify the app as, you know, the shops are giving you a, a low, a low ball number. That's not true. The shops are going to quote you based on what they quote everybody. If they feel they've got value in their quote, they're going to do it. If they feel that the day's been slow and they haven't had a lot of cars intake, they may be aggressive. They're going to let the free market system work for itself. You know, when there's demand for gasoline, gasoline goes up. When there's not a demand, it goes down. And guess who wins? We do. Same thing with, with repair facilities. If I'm sitting there and I haven't had a car all day and then you quote me, you want to quote for an alignment, you know, I don't know how many people you're, you're, you're seeking a quote from, but I may come in to where at least I got something in for the day. And so at the same time, uh, if you were to need a repair and you're, and you're going home and you need it done today and someone quotes you and they say, hey, listen, I can do this for $100, but can you come in tomorrow? We're a little busy. You may say, I cannot. I need it done today. If you can do it today, I'll pay 150 Well, that shop may say, you know what? I'll move some things around, bring it in. So you're really communicating and getting what you need on your time. They're winning because they're making a little bit more money. So it's really letting both sides communicate and um, uh, through the app. And because of the app, there's a lot more ease and a lot more communication. You couldn't do that through a phone in the same way. It's just, it's just, uh, it, it, it never really worked that well. Uh, they're too busy to stand on the phone. I mean, to be on a phone. So, when you look at the apps and and how they're used and and everything, um, you know, from Uber, you know, you're communicating with the Uber driver. Um, you know, it really is simple. Um, and from our surveys, majority of people uh, like that. They like they're able to communicate. They don't want to speak to a mechanic. It's not something they like to do it's more of a uh, stereotype hang up and uh, see why but um, you know we can't fix that but uh, you know and if you look at where the industry is going and 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 the uh, the demographics there's a lot more people using apps now than there were 10 years ago and there's going to be a con there's going to continue so Tapping into that millennial market and understanding what they want and how they want things is real important. And every industry has to pivot to please their customers. And if you're not pleasing your customers and you're not doing what they want, you're going to lose them. And that's the same for the auto and automobile industry. So the repair shops, if they're not going to pay attention to where technology is driving them, and they're not going to jump on the bandwagon and they're going to continue to do things 
in a way that the marketplace really doesn't like, they're not going to have a lot of success. And we feel that with our app, we really keep it simple. We're really just connecting two people who want value and service at a good price and an easy, clean exchange. That's it. It's the same way when you're ordering food from DoorDash or anything else, booking a room with Airbnb. You basically want what you want, how it's supposed to be. You're going to say it, you're going to pay the price, and that's it. And if it's a good if it's a good experience, you're going to continue to use it. But with automobiles, there's nothing more personal than an automobile and a house. Those are two very, very important purchases everybody makes. And so they're a lot more critical on those. And so that's the other challenge you have when you're fixing your car is because there's a lot of anxiety. I just bought this brand new car and now the check engine light comes on and where am I going to take it? And are they going to treat me different? The other thing that I'll say that I really, it kind of, it, it evolved into it, but it really wasn't something that I sought out was I wish I could say that, you know, I had this great idea and I was forward thinking when it comes to social equality and all of that. I mean, obviously we do have a strong platform on that, but, um, when you're on the app and you create a profile and you send off your quote request, the shop owner doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know if you're green, black, purple, male, female, whatever. They don't know anything about you until you show up. So they can't say, you know, they can't give you a quote based on anything other than what you need. And I bring that up because one of my interns went to a shop here in town. She got a quote. She gave the quote to her father. Her father then called the shop and said, Hey, I need this, 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 and this fixed. What, what, how much would that run? And it was a $200 less quote. You know, uh, I'm not saying that it just happens. It just happens. It's, um, there's a lot of stories I've heard out there and, 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 uh, you know, I've got friends that have told me stories that have happened to, to, to different family members, but, you know, that's one other thing that we really like about it is that, you know, it's a level playing field. Your car is the issue. Well, who I am and all of that does not matter. I need you to fix my car and I need a good value. Should it matter if I'm, you know, whatever it doesn't and so we felt that you know uh we we never saw you know anything uh coming in the in the in the country as it has happened over the last year and 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 um just because we just um you know we just don't think like that but uh after we were being after it was built um you know someone came to me and they said, did you, do you want to have it where you check, you know, male or female? And I said, absolutely not. I said, it doesn't matter who it is. And then, um, and so we're really proud that that's something And we've got a lot of customers that have used it that realize that down the road. And then they've said, Hey, you know what? I noticed on the app, 
they don't know that I was this or they don't know I was that. And I said, yeah, so we purposely did that. And they go, I like that because I've always been treated differently. And so um, it's sad, but it is where we, we live today. But, uh, you know, that's something that we're proud of. I love to hear how interactive the app is and how you guys have found solutions that you weren't even really looking for in the first place, especially as college students. And like Kiara was mentioning before, we maybe don't know a lot about the area and we don't know a lot. Maybe it, it'll be the first time that we take our car into an auto repair shop. Um, so that's really great to hear. Um, I kind of want to talk more about uh, the University of Arkansas and the NWA community, because I know that they've had a little bit of involvement in um, developing the app. Can you walk us through your experiences and the process of developing, prototyping, and testing the Obigo app, and maybe some of the people and your team who are involved and how they got involved in the process? Yeah, sure. The the uh, the Fayetteville community community has been fantastic. Um, you know, like I said, my my sister was, has been here since she graduated, and my parents came in, and you know, they 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 really enjoyed it but i didn't really know much about it and i didn't know really to what extent um i was going to have here because at the time it was a temporary what i thought was a temporary situation with my parents it's you know we still have our challenges even to this day with health but you know when i'm sitting there developing this i, I really didn't know you know how much involvement was going to be here but you know, from the, from the start of it, you know, when you start something like this, um, I guess the first, one of the few things that you want to do is to, uh, to do a lot of surveys and to show your ideas and get input and, you know, listen to the brutal truths of what, if it'll work, if it won't work. And, and so, you know, I've made the rounds talking to a few people, um, you know, through friends and families, there was a few people, you know, I connected with and they knew somebody and then they knew somebody. And so it just kind of evolved through where, you know, through different meetings, I was able to get in front of some, some experienced people with startups and things of that nature. And everybody, of course, you know, they loved the idea, thought it was very fresh. It was solving a problem. Uh, it had, uh, longevity in it you could build a good business model um and then you know when i was looking at the university i was really researching some of the technology team and and uh it wasn't um i remember i'm not sure when it was but i remember the ceo of walmart had made a donation and created the mcmillan innovation and so i was reading about that and um and so just blindly, you know, just me, just throwing it out there, you know, I reached out to some people from the technology department and, you know, I wanted to visit with them with what I'm working on. And, and you're always looking for synergy when you're working on things. You always want to, you know, a lot of people will help you if you ask. And, you know, the community from what I was, you know, from what I can tell you, now what i can tell you then is true about the startup community here is very strong there's a lot of people that want to see companies succeed 
and um, I've seen it. I've met them. Uh, they want more to succeed than you can imagine, but you're always looking for synergy. And so that was one thing that I was looking with with the university and they didn't know me. And so, you know, all I had was, you know, Hey, this is me. This is what I'm pitching. And so I had to let the product and the slide deck that I had do all the talking. And they would say, yeah, well, send me your slide deck. Let me take a look at it. So they'd look at it and they go, yeah, I like this a lot. Tell me where you are on it. And that's usually how it would, you know, come about. Uh, from there, you know, we met at the time he was, uh, he was in the technology department. Uh, I don't have permission to mention all their names, so I'm just going to kind of give you what they were, what they were doing, but he was part of the technology department. Now he's, now he's head of, now he's the head of it. When I met him, you know, we were talking and I was looking at some office space and things of that nature and he and I just met the other day for lunch and uh you know we were laughing because it's been about nine months and I said you know I said when we met you know none of this was even discussed or was it was not even in the forefront he was like I know and we were just laughing on how far it's come along but um you know we we you know, we reached out to uh, the venture intern program, and we met. Uh, I can mention who there. That's uh, Deb Williams and Sarah Goforth, and I can tell you those two ladies work harder than anybody I know, and have so much passion about uh, what they do. And the and the intern program, uh, those students that are in there are outstanding. Um, we uh on our graduation day everybody gets on a zoom call and we were talking about what they learned and and it's just tremendous the businesses that were a part a part of it were fantastic the students were a part of it were fantastic uh i mean it, it it's it really is a phenomenal phenomenal program and um so we've been lucky to do that a couple times um, right now we're working with the technology department to work on some proprietary, a proprietary chip for our, uh, company. And, um, that's some, some of this other things we're working on and we, um, we should have that rolled out in the next, uh, six to nine months. And so we're, we're aligned with them pretty closely. Um, we, uh, what else have we done? Um, we've just, you know, we've, we've, we've just had a tremendous response from the university. You know, people ask me, are you going to stay in Fayetteville? Or are you going to go to Austin? Are you going to relocate to Austin? Are you going to relocate at the time? It was, you know, before COVID, are you going to relocate to California? And the answer to that's no. You know, it's, it's, I've, uh, I've told everybody on my team that we're here to stay. We want to make uh, an impression on the startup community in a positive way. We want, we're hoping to be a success story for, you know, our community and the university. You know, we want the university to win. We want the uh, people that have supported us to be able to say, hey, you know, we were helping them and things of that nature. So it's a lot of work still, but you know, we've, we've had such tremendous response 
uh, I almost pinch myself because you know it couldn't have been could not have could not be a better easier relationship and the common denominator of all the faculty members and the tech he's a uh, associate professor that's going to be working with us on the technology and the grad students the common denominator of all those people is they want us to win they want us to succeed it comes through with flying colors it's not about market cap it's not about how much money are you going to make it's not about bragging rights it's about we want you to succeed and that's been the biggest thing I've noticed that's really taken me back because when you get that many people that are on that same page it doesn't happen very often and um, that's happened with my whole team even the board members and things of that nature so you know we've we've um, we've done some we've done some stuff for the uh, community as far as the Hogs baseball. We did a watch party early on, so we're always trying to do some things. I was on the phone today, trying to look and do some some different things to where we can blend our brand in with the community and uh, and help in some way. You know, bring some fun to the community is is what we're trying to do. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of innovation and a lot of community work with all of this. And that's something that I'm super proud of to be, you know, part of like the University of Arkansas community and like live in such a place that just really promotes startups. Um, that's something that, you know, me and Savannah have noticed all throughout the season. Um, you know, the University of Arkansas is located in the prime place for startup and the community is super supportive. Um, so it's great to hear, you know, that you guys have continued to, you know, get involved in that. Um, talking though about like innovation and expansion, um, I noticed from your website that you guys are going to be expanding to some larger cities. And I was just kind of curious on how you guys were planning on combat, like combating um, competitors and how are you guys going to try to make your name known um, in those cities that might not already be familiar with the product? That's a good question. You know, when you when you have a company and you start to scale, you know, the I guess the steps are is, you know, first you come up with an idea, then you solve a problem, then you create the app, then the app has to work. And if the app works, you start to get the transactions. If you get the transactions and the app works and there's a market for it, then you've got something. You know, that's it. that's the really the the, the the basic formula. And then from there, you want to make sure that you can you you've got a scale. Uh, you can you're able to scale. Uh, and then when you're talking about scaling, you've got to be careful on. You know, bigger is not always better. And so for now, we're really trying to uh, penetrate the northwest Arkansas area and then Little Rock is next. We should be in Little Rock in the next 30 days. And we really want to make sure that our product is uh, really strong and and operating the way we want it. And we're always, you know, 
we were on development calls yesterday and we've got a bunch of features we're going to roll out and deploy, you know, every couple of weeks. And so uh, with any app, you've got to make sure that you're incorporating those into your, into how you scale. Uh, so there's good uh, fluid uh, growth and synergy, but, you know, we, we, um, we're not going to jump into say a Houston and Austin and a Dallas overnight. I mean, are they in the cars over the next 90 days? Yes. Um, and we feel there's a lot of opportunity there, but uh, you know, when you're going into those markets, they're bigger markets. Um, we have a business development person here in Northwest Arkansas and so we're we're really uh trying to expand here in a very strategic way the uh the expansion overall say dallas austin we'll, we'll have a business development person on on the ground in those cities uh but it'll it'll become more where people are going online and they're signing up and we'll have people communicating with them, you know, through the phone uh, versus one-on-one. -on -one. You can't go and get all of them one-on-one. -on -one. It's just not going to work out. So, but, um, you know, we, we feel that I don't like to use the word viral too much when it becomes, you know, when it talks about the expansion, but, you know, the more success we have, the more, uh, PR we have and the more name recognition we have and a brand identity and then people look us up and then they can they can go on there and reach out to us and we can get them set up so a lot of it will be organic but um, we will be in those markets to start the process uh, and then um, because we understand those markets. I mean, you know, I understand the Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio market pretty well. And so we know how much potential is there, but you've got to get in there and you've got to open them up with, with a good strategy as well. And so um, it takes uh, our business development people. It takes our marketing team. It's the messaging um you know, it's the relationships down there. It, it's it's a it's a it's you know it it, it takes a team to uh, to do it. Here, it's it's the same way. You know, what we're doing here is we can duplicate it anywhere, and um, so you know we look to be uh, finishing up uh, Northwest Arkansas as far as Bentonville to Fort Smith, getting those shops in. Uh, you know. In the middle of next month, Little Rock will be starting at Little Rock, and uh, hopefully we'll be there for two or three weeks. Then we'll be in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Norman, Stillwater, and um, probably uh, Memphis. And uh, when when we're in those cities, we're probably going to be expanding down in Texas around the same time. So. You know, if you look at those cities I mentioned, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Stillwater, Norman, there there a lot of students. There's um, the access to get around is not as congested as a major 
metropolitan city, so we can still have a little bit of a personal touch to that while we're expanding. And we learn a lot from that. That's why we do it is because when you're opening up in Northwest Arkansas, Little Rock and these other towns, you still have a nice personal approach to to the shop owners and you learn a lot. You know, that's where we learn what we should change. We learn what they like, what they don't like. I mean, that's one thing that I always do is I get a lot of feedback and I go in and I go, okay, so what do you think we should change and what do you like, what do you don't like? And and so some different modifications that we're rolling out here at the end of the week uh, were suggested from one of our partners that say, hey, it'd be really neat if you had this. And so uh, we just, uh, we've got somebody uh, writing the code as we speak and hopefully it'll be deployed on Friday. So, but, you know, we're going to expand. We're, we, uh, we've done surveys. We've looked at the market research that we've done. And we've been doing this for quite a long time. But we see ourselves all, you know, in every state. We see ourselves in Canada. Um, ironically, I'll tell you this, which was kind of a weird uh, stat. When, when we were, we, I, when I was looking at, you know, I was posting things on social media and I was posting, uh, you know, the concept and the idea and what do you think about this and would you ever use this app and this and that. And I was doing it on a national scale. And obviously the big cities like uh, Chicago and Houston, um, uh parts of Michigan, you know, they were all ranking in the top three. I can't remember. I think somewhere in California may have been number four, but what was always in the top five was Alberta, Canada. And I found that always odd. And I thought, wow, of all the cities in America, when I was looking who, who, what we were doing, who it was resonating with, Alberta, Canada, always top, finish in the top five. You'd have Austin, you'd have Houston, you'd have Dallas, but Alberta, Canada. And so we're going to be uh, looking to um, looking at Canada. You know, there's over half of half a billion cars in North America. There's 1.2 something like that. It changes. 1.2, 1.6 billion cars in, in the world. And, um, and so we feel the marketplace is there. So when you say, when you say there's half a billion cars in North America and the average car is 11 years old, I mean, one plus one equals car repair, <laughs> you know, it's an 11 year old car needs some auto repair, you know, they need something. Um, and, uh, and so we feel we have a, we have a, we have the marketplace and the um, the the independent shop owner is growing at a rate of 5.2% CAGR which is compound annually growth rate so what that means is you know independent repair shops are opening at 5.2 per year compound every year that's huge that means that there's there's plenty of people seeing that there's a need for auto repair and there, there's a need for all these cars that 
that need auto repair. And car sales, car sales did pretty decent during COVID, but over the last 10 years, they've been pretty flat. I think they've grown at 1% annually over the last 10 years. And so, you know, you don't, there's not a lot of cars. I know there's, you see a lot of cars on the road, but statistically proven in the, in North America, there's not a lot of car sales. And um, if you look at the average car age, it's grown year after year after year. And next year it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, the average car is older than 11 years. And so someone's got to repair them. Someone's got to fix them. And, uh, you know, 80% of the people out there when polled, you know, the question is, do you feel that dealerships charge more than independents? 80, 85% of them say yes. And so, you know, these aren't our statistics. These are, you know, these are survey groups and the industry numbers. And so we feel that when you look at all those things, we feel that the marketplace is there. We just we just feel that the reason that it's not being solved is that there's not a real good conduit between the shop owner and the customer. And I can tell you firsthand, I meet these shop owners. They're terrific people. They're hardworking. They're entrepreneurs. They they want to be successful. They want to do a good job. They're passionate about what they do. They've trained hard to what they do. They just want customers to say, hey, come in here, give me a shot. Let me show you what I can do. I can save you money. I can fix your car just as well as a dealership can. Just give me a shot. And we felt that this is a great platform to help these small businesses. So when you look at the app, it's a dual side, what they call a dual sided application. We feel that we're bringing value to the customer for time, money, savings, safety. And at the same time, we're, we're helping the small business owner and we're bringing them clients to where they can produce and they can be in business and they can grow their enterprise. Uh, they can live the American dream and they can succeed. And uh, I think that's what, that's, I think that's what everybody wants. So hopefully, hopefully it is what everybody wants. And so, we just want to play a small part of that, and in return, everybody wins, and it's it's a good relationship. For sure. So I know you had mentioned this before, but you were talking about how you guys were involved with the venture intern program. Um, apart from that how like do you have any opportunities for students to um, maybe like apply for internships or something like that if they're interested in working for you know like your company or anything in the auto industry is there something that you know that they could do to get more information on that or apply yes we um we we do have two interns that um, hold on a second. We do have two interns that uh, we have now, but we are looking for developers. We do have an ad on Handshake, and um, we are looking for between two and five developers. And if you go on Handshake, 
you will see it. It has a, it's a salary position, some stock options. We're looking for the right fit. And, um, and so, uh, you know, that if that's a, a junior, senior, grad student, post-grad, um, you know, if, if it fits what we need, then it's, um, you know, that's, a, that's what we'll, we'll push, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. But, um, you know, we are, we are actively looking for, um, for people. We'd like for them to be here in Fayetteville. We have a lot of people that have inquired about the position from all over the country, but we want them to relocate. And so, you know, we want to stay in Fayetteville. We want everybody in Fayetteville. We preferably like to find people in Fayetteville, but you know, we, if they, if they'll come to, if they're not in Fayetteville, we'll come here and make them, make them our own. And, but uh, you know, as I said, we really want to be Fayetteville based and, um, we want to use local talent, and if it's not local, we want to bring them here and make them local. Before we wrap up, do you have any final advice for students who might be might be interested in pursuing um, or starting their own business? Um, you know, it it it. Uh, there's so many people that have businesses business ideas. And I think when, when you're that person that comes up with a lot of, you know, hey, we can make a business out of this, we can make a business out of that. I think that's a, you know, that's a different mindset person um, that's got a bug to be an entrepreneur. The thing that I would say when you're looking at all these ideas and I get family members saying, Hey, I came up with a business idea. And I'm like, okay, what is it? You know, the thing that I would say, when you're looking up for an idea, the thing you need to look at is, are you solving a problem? And do you expect to get traction from it? Can it scale? And I think that's where I would start because I get pitched ideas and some of them sound fantastic, but then when you look at it, you go, okay, so are we solving a problem? And there, you know, sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. Does it have the ability to get any traction or other people are going to be as excited as you are? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But the most important thing is, is how are you going to monetize it and can it scale? So, and scaling, as you know, means can it really go to a broader scope other than three or four different people? And so that's what I would look at when I'm looking at starting a business. And you look at the marketplace and you look at, you know, a lot of different criteria like you would in any business, but you know, some people want to sell some little trinket or something, you know, and it's, it's a side business. That's, that's a totally different thing. But if you're really looking to build a business, uh, you need to look at what's it going to take. But I think most people's, you know, I, you know, if there's a factor in success and failing in business, I think it's really just comes down to how bad you want it and 
perseverance and are you able to block everything out because you kind of have to stay so focused on what you're doing to where you know all these outside influences and things don't have a factor i mean when we started building the actual code it was right at covid and surprisingly you know a lot of people were pretty much shut down and and uh figuring out what they're going to do and you know you, you remember how that was well we were pushing through we got a lot done you know a lot of people weren't at work people weren't answering phones people you know it, it was very it was a very weird period of time but you know most people don't realize or they don't know you're the first ones to i guess hear it but you know we wrote and built the code during covid and so that's you know we didn't let our outside influences and so when it came to a lot of the marketing pieces and you know i was hiring some freelance people to help with graphics and you know i had somebody that i'd work with on the website and so you know, we did all these things, a lot of these things during COVID. Um, and uh, so it was, you know, I wasn't going to sit around because of everything that was going on uh, to affect me. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny, but the hardest thing, the hardest thing that I experienced during COVID was trying to find toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. all the stores were out so it's like what was the hardest thing during covid for uh, your company well i didn't have you know i didn't have cokes and i didn't have toilet paper and you know other than that we, we we made it work you know there was a lot of people out there that wanted to work they uh, were laid off they had freelance jobs you know they were there was a lot of people out there we sought them out and we it took a while it's a process but you know, you've got to you've got to push through, and despite of the conditions, you've got to get a game plan. You've got to pivot because there's always going to be someone something thrown at you. Uh, every day there's something thrown at you. You know, um, some days are easier than others, and and um, you know, I wish you could see what happened today, but you know, it just it's 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 a grind. It takes perseverance. Find somebody that shares your passion and what you're doing. And if you can, uh, you know, find a co-founder. I did not have a co-founder. I looked, but I couldn't find anybody that shared the, the drive and the work ethic and, and the passion. And, um, and I wasn't going to carry anybody with me. But if you can find somebody that can do that and, and you can hold each other accountable and you can stay on your game plan and your deliverables, then you got something. And, um, and and usually if you like it and it makes sense to you and it makes sense to your family, it makes sense to your friends, that's a good start. That's a good start. The next thing would be, can I, can it scale? Can I sell 5,000 of them? If it's, if you can sell 5,000, can I sell 10, you know, and, uh, go from there. But, um, you got to want to do it because you're solving a problem and you enjoy the passion and you, and you enjoy the ride. If you start chasing the money, 
you're going to continue to chase it. It's not going to be there. A lot of companies uh, are born from an idea, and then they have to figure out how to monetize it. Um, Facebook was one of them. Google was one of them. SpaceX is one of them. I mean, those are three that everybody knows. Snapchat was one of them. These Twitter. I mean, everybody loved it, but then these guys had to say, how do I make money from this? Because ideally, it really wasn't, you know, they knew they had an audience, but now they had to figure out a way to monetize it. And so um, we have that, we're having that issue on some things too now to where we have people contacting us about partnerships and this and that. But, you know, I sat down with a CEO recently for lunch and we enjoyed the meeting. We felt that we had something to bring to each other, but we left the meeting without any, you know, without any uh, idea on how we're going to do it. We knew that we have something to each other. We, we knew we could benefit from the relationship. We just couldn't figure out how to monetize or what exactly that was. And that's, that's a good thing. Because we were, you know, we were, we were both patient to sit and wonder, what are we going to do? We know we can do something, but what is it? And usually business people in my situation will kind of, will try to throw anything out there too early to see if it'll stick. And we didn't do that. We were patient and we have another meeting, uh, you know, here in the next couple of weeks. Because now we've really finally found a way that we think that we can add a lot of value. And uh, through discussing it with my team and my board and things of that nature, we came up with a very, very strong business plan that's even bigger than what I ever could imagine. And so, you know, so those are the things I would look at when starting a business. It's, 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 um, it's got to be more than just, uh, you know, money. That's some great insight and some great advice that I feel like our listeners definitely would like love to, you know, hear and implement in the future. So thank you so much um, for taking some time out of your day to just sit with us um, and chit chat more about your company and all of the process and the development. Um, Cause it truly is like inspiring, honestly. So um, if you like what you heard, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast while you're at it. Follow us on Instagram at Walton biz talk. That is all for this week. We'll be back next next semester with more casual conversations about professional things.